Second Corinthians chapter two. Issue of forgiveness today, and the importance of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a problem for us, right? It's a huge problem. It's a huge issue in our lives. It's a huge issue for the church. Uh, as a whole, somebody said it's the number one problem. Now, I don't know. That, that's kind of anecdotal. That's a, that somebody said that, so you, n- you never know how it's true, and you never know even how you would actually work it out uh, if it's the biggest tr- uh, problem in the church, uh, forgiveness and bitterness. But it is a huge problem. It's a major problem. So often you have people sitting in the pews and they come, and they are dead to the things of God because there's something they haven't forgiven. There's something they haven't dealt with. There's something they haven't removed from their lives. And we need to understand the importance of this, and we need to <clears throat> work through the difficulties of it, too. You see, sometimes <clears throat> uh, we don't do forgiveness because we don't do judgment in the sense that we don't recognize where sin is. Right? Because we don't want to be judgmental, and we live in a tolerant age. By the way, you know what? <clears throat> uh, as we look at our passage today, you know, the Corinthians lived in a tolerant age, too. Sometimes we think this is the worst, the, the, the worst and the darkest days that, that, that have ever been. Listen, it's always been dark apart from God. Always. And God is still on the throne. Therefore, there's light and there's life and there's blessing. And until the day when he says it's all over, there will be. Right? There will be light and life and blessing and there will be people getting saved <clears throat> until that day. So let's not, let's not look at our dark days and think these are the darkest days and there's no way around these days and so on. You know, listen, there is God. And because there is God, there is always hope and there is always light. But sometimes we don't want to judge. We want to be tolerant. We want to accept. Now, we've got to be very careful of that one because we can be easily uh, sucked in with, with our generation, with our age, with our culture where, you know, let's listen, if you want to do it, that's fine. You just do what you want to do and, and we'll do what we want to do and everything. That's not true. Everything's not fine. Everything's not okay. Everything's not right. Everything can't be right. Okay? Now, you are not the ultimate judge, but you are called, as Jesus said, to judge righteous judgment. You're called to look at things and say, that's wrong. And that's right. And one of the problems the church uh, at Corinth had was that they started off with a huge problem dealing, we'll look at it, dealing with this issue of sin and whether we should judge it or not or whether we should just kind of ignore it and say it's okay, everything's fine, uh, everything is cool, we would say in our modern day, and don't worry about it, uh, it's just, uh, it is what it is, so let's not, let's not worry about it, let's just let it be. But they, they struggled with that. But then, at the past we're looking at this morning, they struggled with a second problem. Having finally come around, as Paul instructed them to, uh, and dealt with it, now they have a problem letting go of it. And that's a problem for us, too. When we finally do judge something as wrong, uh, and then somebody tries to make it right, we can, we can kind of dig in, can't we? We can say, well, you know what, they're, they're, they're probably just going to do it again, so I'm, go- I'm, go- I'm going to suspend judgment until I see how they live for the next 50 years, right? Now, aren't you glad that God doesn't do that to you? Aren't you glad that God doesn't actually take and look at you and suspend judgment on your life when you get it wrong and you confess sin and make it right? We're not supposed to do that with each other. Uh, either recently I had somebody phone me. Uh, <clears throat> they didn't actually end up doing it, so uh, you don't know who it is, so I can tell you about it, right? Uh, but somebody, somebody called me, and they had done something in the church, and they had gotten it <clears throat> uh, pretty well wrong, right? And they uh, had left the church definitely under a cloud. But they phoned me, and they said to me, Pastor, um, <clears throat> I want to come back to church. And so I talked them uh, through it, talked them through the issue and so on, and it was, it was evident. 
you know, he was not in the same place as he was when he had left. And I said, look, that's, that's no problem. Uh, just understand that wrong is wrong. Uh, and you know, Now listen, when you deal with somebody like that, is there a possibility that they're going to do the same wrong thing again? There is. You know, there's always that possibility, but we've got to accept them back as a church. We've got to kind of bring them back in again as a church. Now, they didn't, uh, but the door was open to them, and that's important. And that's what the Corinthians were struggling with in the passage that we're looking at, right? They struggled, first of all, with dealing with sin, which we struggle with greatly in our day and age. And then they struggled with actually, when it came around to it, and the guy was repentant, they struggled with actually letting him back in again, uh, with dealing with it. And we have a problem with this thing of forgiveness. We have a problem with dealing with things that are wrong. And <clears throat> we need to overcome the problem. We need to overcome the problem. We depend to depend upon the Holy Spirit. All right. <clears throat> okay. Um, let's read our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, and then we will begin. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So the contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow, right? Uh, now we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, the passage that's dealing with this here. But somebody had caused a problem, a major problem in the church with their sin. It caused a problem for Paul. Uh, it was a difficulty. And Paul said, no, no, no. Now you need to forgive him. Now you need to let it go. Uh, he has repented of it. needs to be let go. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. And do you know when it comes down to it, forgiveness is a just plain issue of obedience. It's just a plain issue of obedience. You've got to forgive because it's an issue of obedience. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us? Lord, <clears throat> Uh, we struggle with the same things these Corinthian people struggled with, Lord, and uh, we have a difficulty with them too. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you help us this morning? Help us as we look to your word, Lord, to be edified and built up. But, Lord, uh, may it not be, Lord, just something that happens in our minds, Lord, but may the simplicity of the truth impact us and cause us to move in the direction you want us to move in. And, oh, Lord, may we be changed because of the preaching of truth this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, the power of forgiveness. First of all, the offense of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which is inflicted of many. Now, I'm going to have to make you look at your Bible this morning, right? So that's hard for Sunday morning. But look back with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, right? Isn't it easy how quickly we come to expect it to be up on the screen in front of us, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 
Now, we'll take a few minutes looking at this here because we, we, we want to catch the drift of where we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, Paul is dealing with sin in the church. He says, is it, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Well, there was a wickedness uh, in the church uh, at Corinth here, and this guy was obviously uh, immorally with his stepmother. Now, that's bad. That's bad for the world. That's bad for anywhere. And um, Paul is writing to them about this issue. Uh, and he says, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. And the church at Corinth, you know what they were? They were a tolerant church. They were saying, well, you know what? If he wants to do that, then you know what? Who are we to say that's wrong? Let's just let him go ahead and do that. And that's between him and God. And we're not going to say anything about it. Right? And they were actually puffed up. They thought they were great. They thought they were, they were a very broad-minded, a very, <clears throat> a, a, a very good church. Uh, and, um, and Paul's not buying it. Paul is not buying it. Now, first of all, I want you to notice this. The sin was very obvious. You, know, you have churches that take church discipline and deal with church. Every issue is a church dis- discipline issue. Every issue is not a church discipline issue. Most issues are not a church discipline issue. Most issues, most issues are th- things that people need to get right and get sorted out. And ch- bringing church discipline into it is going to do damage sometimes. And I've seen it do damage. But there are some times when as a church you have to bring church discipline into it. And Paul is saying this is one of those times. You've got something going on in your church that even <clears throat> the Gentiles, uh, they would think this is wicked, this is wrong. And, and you're supposed to deal with it, he said. You're puffed up. <clears throat> uh, uh, you're, and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed should be taken away from you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. Now Paul's not there. Paul's away uh, somewhere else. But he says, listen, I have listened to the situation, understood the situation, and it is wrong. Now we're not comfortable with that. Are we? Well, we're kind of comfortable with the Apostle Paul because he was pretty holy. And he was pretty close to God. And it's okay for him to uh, say that something is wrong uh, and something is right. Uh, But we're not supposed to judge. You know, one of the most abused verses uh, in the scripture is judge not that you be not judged. Isn't it? I mean, how many times have you heard people? How many people, how times have people said to you when they were doing something clearly wrong, you can't judge me. Bible says judge not that you be not judged. You know, that's not what it's talking about. When it talks about judge not that you be not judged, it's talking about not having a critical spirit. Critical judgmental spirit towards people. Because you have a critical judgmental spirit towards people. You know what? You're going to get the same measure yourself. It's going to be bad for you. But you know, Jesus did say judge righteous judgment. Paul did tell the, the church here to judge. It's right for you to look at something and say, that's wrong. Right? Now, it may not be right for you to go on a crusade and try and prove to the whole world that it's wrong. But it's right for you to know that it's wrong and for to say that it's wrong. You see, if you don't stand for a truth, you end up getting drawn into the lie. There's no two ways. At some point, you've got to say what's right and what's wrong. And you've got to have that in your own heart. You've got to have that in your own counsel. You've got to know what's right and what's wrong. And you know, some things people are doing, you're going to say, that's wrong. And you get close enough to them, you're going to have to say to them, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And they won't like you for it. And they'll call you judgmental. They'll call you unchristian. But you know what? You need to look at things and you're saying, that's wrong. And Paul said they were puffed up. They were, they, were, they, were, they were all charged up with their tolerance. We can get that in our day and age, can't we? 
remember talking to a man on the door, a little Catholic man, and, he's, and <clears throat> uh, he was in old age at the time I spoke to him. And I asked him, what would you have to do to go to heaven? Right? And he blew me away. The first thing out of his mouth was, be tolerant. That was the first thing out of his mouth, be tolerant. Because tolerance has become the principal virtue in our day and age. And we're affected by the culture. You know, listen, tolerance is not always a good thing. For you to tolerate sin in your own life is not a good thing. For you to accept sin in the people around you and say, well, that's just the way it is, it's not always a good thing. You've got, you got to be careful of this thing, right? Um, so Paul says in verse 3 that he had judged, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, uh, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, he's talking about dishing out pretty severe judgment here, right? Deliver them to Satan. Put them out of the church. Put this man outside the church so Satan can get on. A couple of thoughts for you there. Do you realize that being in church, well, being right with God, first of all, right? But being right with God and being in church provides protection in your life. That's what it's talking about here. There's a protective umbrella over that. You know, that God told us we are to gather together, that we are part of church. And when you pull yourself outside of that and say, I'm a good Christian, I can manage, I can make it on my own. No, you won't make it on your own. You're going to get hurt. There's a protection involved. There's a protection from the enemy. The enemy looks at the church and would love to destroy it, but the Lord withholds them from doing it. But when somebody gets put outside the church, that protection gets removed from their lives. And you know what you'll notice in their lives? You'll notice in their lives destruction. Because the enemy's no friend. Not to anybody. Doesn't have any friends. Doesn't have any people he loves. He's no friend to anybody. He loves nobody. He just goes after them to, to destroy them. Right? <clears throat> now, so it's a serious thing when somebody gets put out of the church. It's a, it's a very serious thing. It's a serious issue. Um, <clears throat> they're de- 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 delivered unto Satan. Now, but look what he says. That, now, so that the, the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure all that means, right? But I know this. There are two thoughts for the person that gets put out of the church. One is that actually, though, they, though the enemy goes after them, uh, there's, a, there's a protection of their spirit involved in it. And the second is this. You know what? When you actually call sin sin and tell somebody it's wrong and put them out, they get the opportunity to get right. Now, they may not get right. But they get the opportunity to get right. That, that's what it's about. That's what Paul is talking about here. But there's another impact that we need to understand for the church as well, right? And Paul's going to talk about it. Uh, your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. If you want to bake bread, um, <clears throat> and you take and you put just a little leaven, the leaven will spread through the whole thing and affect it also your bread rises. That's, that's the way it's done. I've never done it, but you know what? <clears throat> I must do it sometime just for the fun of it to see it happen. But uh, you put the leaven in, the leaven spreads through the whole thing, and your bread rises, okay? Now, <clears throat> and Paul is taking the illustration of leaven and the impact of leaven, and he's using it for the church. He's saying this is how the church gets affected, right? Um, <clears throat> 
Know you not, not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore that old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye, ha, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Right now, <clears throat> so what's he talking about there? He's talking about, you know, if we allow sin in the church and we don't actually call it, and we, you know, people want to live together. We say, well, look, it doesn't matter. It's fine. You, you, you just do that. And, you know, people want to go drinking and, and, and get drunk. And we say, well, you know what? This is the 21st century. Uh, that, you know, that's just the way things are. And they go do that. And we allow wickedness into the church. Do you know what happens? We all get affected by it. How do we get affected by it? What happens is we look at each other and we look around and we say, yeah, but, you know, he's... He's doing it. And you know what? The church, quote-unquote church, is ruined by it. It's ruined by it because what you've got is you've got all kinds of wickedness going on in churches that nobody's willing to say anything about. And so the church just looks, at, looks just like the world. And it spreads through the church and affects the whole church. No, no, no. There's right and there's wrong, and we're supposed to call it as a church. And sometimes we have to deal with it as a church. Sometimes we have to just call someone out and say, this is wrong, you can't do this. If you're going to do this, we're going to put you out. And that's hard. That's not what we like to do. But you know what? It's important that we do it. Right? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. But let's finish off the passage here because the rest of the passage is important to us. Um, <clears throat> therefore, let us keep the feast with, uh, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with covetous or with extortioners or with idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. Right? So he told these people, he said, now don't company, don't fellowship, don't hang out with people who are involved in obvious known sin. Right? Now he's addressing the situation here and he's, he's, he's trying to help them. He said, now he said, I'm not talking about the world. Because you'd have to go out of the world. I mean, the world lives like that. And you know what? You're supposed to be salt and light in the world. So you're supposed to be out there trying to reach the people in the world. So you're supposed to talk to them about those things. You're supposed to be out in the world and you're supposed to be light. So he's saying, listen, it's not that you can't, can't keep, keep company with people in the world who are doing wrong. Because then you couldn't live in the world. And you've got to go to work. You've got to go to school. You've got to do whatever. You're going to be around people who are doing these things. And that's understandable. But you're heart is to reach them, not to be like them. Okay, but let's see what else he says. Uh, but now I have written unto you not to keep company of any that is called a brother, be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one known not to eat. Now, eating with somebody is the essential picture of fellowship. Very often, that's the essential uh, picture of fellowship. Now, if somebody is living like that, he says you're to avoid them. That's kind of mean, isn't it? That means, that means you'd have to say to some people, sorry, I can't be around you anymore. Now, you've got two choices here. What you can do is you can say, well, that's just the scripture. That was written a long time ago. That doesn't apply to the 21st century because in the 21st century, you know, this is the way things are. We've got we to gotta, we gotta live with life the way it is in the 21st century. But you know what? You lose so much when you do that. You need to take it and turn it around, and you need to say to yourself, no, 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 that's what the Bible says. That's what I'm going to do. Now, why does Paul tell you to do that? Why does Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tell you to do that? Two reasons, right? First of all, it is good for someone for you to call them and say, that's wrong. 
You're not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that either. I don't like doing that either. That, that's that's kind of horrible. But it's good for you to call somebody and say, that's wrong. The way you're living is wrong. And it's also good for them. Because you know what? If we don't react, if, if the righteous don't react to sin, what happens in the world is that the world just goes to hell. The world just loses it completely and goes, yeah, we're supposed to... And, and what we're talking about here, folks, is we're talking about brethren. Those that are known to be believers, you're not to have fellowship with them. I can't make it any clearer than Paul makes it for you. And you can, you can say, well, you know what, I know that's what the Scripture says, but you know, these days, every, well, in those days, everybody was doing it too. In those days, and Paul was saying, listen, if somebody's saved, born again... A brother, don't hang out with them if they're living like that. Don't hang out with them. Don't, don't be with them if they're living like that. Make a difference. Separate from them. Separation, by the way, is a biblical doctrine. It's not something that was dreamt up in the last uh, few years. Separation is a biblical doctrine. You're supposed to separate from sin. And you're supposed to separate from it here. Right? <clears throat> uh, Paul says, uh, for what am I to do with, to judge them that also that are without? You know, our job is not to judge the unsaved world. But our job uh, is to judge them that are within. We're supposed to say, you know what, you're, you call yourself a believer and you're living like that? You're wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. But them that are without God judgeth, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a tough chapter. It's when Paul lays out how the church is supposed to deal with sin and the attitude and the mindset the church is supposed to have towards sin. And you know what? The sin hasn't changed that much. Uh, in the intervening time, and the response to it hasn't changed that much in the intervening time. But know this, if you don't obey the scripture, you do yourself a damage. You do yourself a hurt. Because the Bible is very clear what's right and what's wrong and how you're supposed to handle it and what you're supposed to do with it. Right? You're supposed to do right. You're supposed somebody who you know to be a believer, you know, and a living wrong. Listen, you don't hang out with them as friends. You just don't do it. You say, look, I can't. The Bible says I can't. Let me show you the scripture where it says I can't. Now, they're not going to let you more than likely, and they're going to be mightily offended with you, and you're going to get called all kinds of names, unloving, legalistic, not even a Christian. But you know what? They called Jesus all those names, didn't they? So what? They called Paul all those names. So what? You've got to decide in your mind where you want to align yourself. Do you want to align yourself with... Uh, with <clears throat> With, with a believer who's obviously living wrong, or do you want to align yourself with God and his word? Me, I want to align myself with the word of God. As much as it's possible for my life, I want to align myself with the word of God, and you should too. I, okay, now back to, back to our text, back to what, what we're looking at, right? Um, so th th that's the offense. The offense is the offense of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This guy's been put out of the church. They were... They were <clears throat> They were glorying in the fact that they, they, they were so tolerant that they were keeping in. And finally, they got it right, and they, they did what Paul told them to do, obviously, because he's dealing with it again in 2 Corinthians, right? So they finally got rid of the guy. Uh, they did what Paul told them to do. And so <clears throat> now the problem is that he's come back. He's gotten right. It worked. I thought they did work because he's gotten right. He's come back. Uh, verse 7 says, So the contrariwise, you ought to rather forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up of overmuch sorrow. You know, this guy was 
had gotten it right. They had put him out. He had gotten it right. And now they're supposed to take him back. They're supposed to embrace him. They're supposed, and they're having a hard time. We understand that, don't we? Well, you know what? He did this and he did that. We're not sure we want him back in because he'll probably just do it again. We don't think he's changed. We don't see the change in him. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. You did what you were supposed to do. He's repented of it. You take him back. You take him back. You open your arms uh, and you love him again. Uh, now, so number two, that forgiveness is a love issue. Wherefore, I beseech you that we, you would confirm your love towards him. By the way, when the church disciplines somebody, it's not supposed to stop loving them. Kind of tough, but it's not something you're not supposed to stop loving them. It's not like you look at them and you think, oh, you dirty low down. No, no, no. You love them and you want them to get right. And Paul is saying, now hold on a minute, confirm your love to this guy. Show him that you really do love him. See, I think they've taken it the wrong direction, and I think by now they didn't love him very much. And Paul is saying, no, 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 fix it, get it straight, love him, right? Um, they did the business, they weren't willing to, to accept him back. Um, but 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 says that love believes all things, hopes all things. Now, believes all things and hopes all things. Do you know that love's a bit gullible? It really is. Love is just a bit gullible. You know, and that's kind of hard to, hard to think of yourself as being gullible, but, but you've got to be gullible sometimes. You've you, you got to go. Remember John Van Gelderen telling me a story of, of, of this guy. He, he was a Sunday school teacher in the church, but uh, he, he got a Sunday school class, and he, his dad told him the story. He was, he was actually there. John was there when it happened, but... Uh, he, his dad used to tell the story, this guy would come to the Sunday school, he would uh, teach the Sunday school, he would be on fire, he'd be right there, and then he would get offended. And he would leave, but every time he left, he would take some people from the church with him. He did it several times. And finally, he's knocking at the door, wanting to come back again. And <clears throat> John uh, says to his father, you know, the evangelist, don't take him back, he's done it three times, he'll just do it again. And the father says, but what option do we have? He's repented. The Bible says that we've got to forgive him. That's kind of tough, but love is a bit gullible. Love believes all things, hopes all things. That's, that's the way it is. You said, but we could get hurt. Yeah, you know what? We could get hurt. And, and you know what? If you're going to relate to people, you're going to get hurt. That's the reality of it. But you know, you, can, you don't have the option in your life of shutting down shop and not loving when somebody repents. You've got to take them back in again. Now, let me say this. They can't bring their sin back into the church. That's not repentance. Repentance means I've dealt with the sin. It's over. It's done with. It's finished. But you're supposed to love them. You're supposed to bring them back in again. You see, it's easy to shut people out when they hurt us. We build walls of self-protection around us that are totally selfish. You get hurt enough, and you can build pretty strong walls. You You can build walls that a tank can't blast through. You know, you say, well, I've been hurt too many times. And you, and you won't justify it. You know what? You're always going to find that there's a lack of forgiveness in there somewhere. Because remember, there's two forgivenesses. There's the one forgiveness, somebody comes and repents, and, you know, and you're able to say, okay, look, I forgive you. But the other forgiveness is you let go anyway. Okay, they're not going to repent. We're not going to be able to restore the relationship. But I'm not carrying a burden. I'm not carrying a bitterness towards them. I'm letting it go. You see, you, you, you can't do that. You've got to be in the place where uh, you don't build walls of protection. You say... But how will I live? God, that's how you're going to live. That's how you're going to live. You're going to live out on God. Because this, this, this thing of love, uh, this thing of love is tough. 
But you know what? If we stop loving, 1 Corinthians says nothing else we're doing matters. If we stop loving, it's over. It's finished. Close the door. Shut shut up shop. What's the point? You know, um, we've got to stay open. It is tough. But love keeps you open. Love is the toughest thing. That's why Jesus said, new commandment I give you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if ye have love one to another. It sounds so simple. It sounds so lovely. But you know what? It's the hardest thing. Listen to Ben-Hur. Um, and, um, you know, it's so interesting because it gives you a Jewish perspective on the Messiah because there's all talk about the Messiah because the Messiah has been born uh, in Ben-Hur's book, uh, in his time, born about the same time as Ben-Hur. Right? And... Um, <clears throat> The, 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 the issue is this for them. They expect a military leader who's going to trounce Rome. It's kind of, that's, that's, that's what they expect. There's, there's no other option. What they need is they need a military leader who's going to free them from the yoke of this awful tyrant called Rome. And they miss completely the reality that Jesus' weapon was not a sword. Jesus' weapon was love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. And here we are, the church in the 21st century, and we're still struggling with it. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, we, yeah, we know it, yeah, that, that, that's true, we know. But love is the hardest thing. Love is the toughest thing. But you know what? The sword doesn't change people. Love does. Jesus was right. But our weapon is love. Our weapon is not somewhere where we're going to beat them all into submission. We're not like the Muslim world. That's, you know, the way the world is going to be won is by love. And you can't afford to shut shop and stop loving. You'll destroy yourself and the work God could do through you. So wherever it is, whoever it is in your heart this morning, you look at and you say, well, I don't love them. And You know, you need to backtrack. You need to backtrack and you need to backtrack rapidly because you don't have the option of shutting shop and closing down and building a wall to protect yourself. Right? <clears throat> forgiveness is a love issue. Number three, forgiveness is an obedience issue. Look at verse 9. Uh, For to this end uh, also did I write that I might know the proof of you whether ye be obedient in all things. You know, it's just a matter of simple obedience. You know, if I talk to you about the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, prayer is Christianity 101, isn't it? Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, all right. <clears throat> pray after this fashion. All right, now let me read you some of the verses. Matthew six twelve says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you know that basic to your Christianity is this idea of forgiveness? You can't hold on to offenses. You say, but do you know what they did on me? How could I ever let that go? You just can't hold on to it. Because here's the, here's the thing. If there's somebody in your, in your life that you won't forgive this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pronounce judgment on you here, right? In fact, I'm not. The Word of God is going to pronounce judgment. You're not right with God. You're just not right with God. That's just the way it is. You say, but, but pastor, it's not as simple as that. I understand. Listen, I understand that there are times when you need help. But are you seeking help? Or are you just building the wall? Because they've hurt you and they're not going to get the chance to hurt you again. Listen, you need to forgive. 
basic to the reality of our Christianity is forgiveness. Christianity 101, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I could have said that for you long before I ever knew anything about what it meant. Most of you could too. You learned the Lord's Prayer as a child. And you know what? It's truth. You're supposed to forgive. You're supposed to let go. Is there anybody in your life that you're holding something against because they did you wrong? Now, I'm not trying to minimize because some things are hard, but are you actively seeking a way to let it go? Or are you just holding on to it? You see, if you hold on to it, it's going to make you bitter. If you hold on to it, it's going to eat you alive. If you hold on to it, it's going to destroy you. So look at the next verse, our next point. Um, Forgiveness is a warfare issue. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. Forever I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it. For your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Do you know that if you won't forgive, Satan gets an advantage? If you won't forgive, Satan gets the upper hand. Could we say advantage means he gets the upper hand? If you won't forgive, Satan gets a tool to use against you. If you won't let go, you put yourself in the one-down position with an enemy that's very ferocious and very powerful. If you won't forgive, he will take advantage of you. Now, let me give you a couple of thoughts on that, right? Matthew chapter 18 uh, deals with the man who owed a huge amount of money and the man who owed a small amount of money. And the man who owed a huge amount of money went in before his Lord and his Lord frankly forgave him all the debt. Let it go. I don't owe me anything. Then he went out and he got the guy who owed him a small amount of money and he said, hey, you, you owe me the money. I can't pay you, but give me a chance and I'll get it to you. And he said, no, no, no. Take his family, put them in prison, sell them. I want, my, I want as much as I can get out of it. And then his Lord heard about it. And his Lord took and had him brought in and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt. Don't you think you should have forgiven what he owed you? And he had him cast into prison to the tormentors. And Jesus is telling the story. And he says that so shall my heavenly father do to you if you won't forgive. So here's the the thing. If you won't forgive, you go to the tormentors. Now you might say this more, well, I'm tormented by people. They torment me. They do this, they do that, they do the other. No, you're not tormented by people. They can do you wrong. They can annoy you. They can get it wrong in your life. That's true. But you know what? When you won't forgive, you get casted to the tormentors. And the tormentors can drive you stone cold crazy. They can do it. You've got to forgive. You've got to let go. The enemy gets an advantage if you don't. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. A couple of thoughts here. You've got to fail of the grace of God. Do you know there's grace to deal with the hurt you're bearing this morning? There's God's supernatural enabling. There is grace to deal with it. There is grace for you to deal with that pain, that hurt. Okay, Um, does any root of bitterness springing up trouble you? Do you know what happens to bitterness when you don't forgive, when you don't let go, when you don't deal with it? Do you know what happens? It becomes a root. Now, you know, roots don't stay in the ground. Roots grow leaves, 
They produce plants. Roots spring up. And they will trouble you. Do you know a root of bitterness will bear fruit in your life? Hebrews 11 talks about um, <clears throat> Esau, for, or say Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, talks about Esau uh, <clears throat> who, who sold his birthright for a bowl of food. Why? Because he was a profane man. He was a man who lived bitter and didn't know how to handle life and did stupid things. And you'll do stupid things too if you get bitter. I'm telling you. A root of bitterness will spring up and not only will it defile you, but thereby many are defiled. Do you know what happens when you get, get bitter? You infect other people with it. It's just the way of it. You know, the bitter spirit loves an audience, doesn't it? The bitter spirit longs for somebody they can pour out their bitterness to. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to defile people with it. So you're talking about a poison, an unruly poison. You're talking about something in your life that can't be contained. That's just going to spring up and cause trouble in your life and cause trouble for everybody around you. You don't have the option of holding on to it. Really, you and I don't have the option to not forgive. You say, well, well, I can't forgive. Yes, you can. You've got to come to the place where you can forgive because you know what? You can't afford the weight of bitterness in your life. It's impossible. You've got to forgive. You've got to let go. Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. <clears throat> you know, what will happen in your life is, if you don't deal with issues, if you let wrath become a big deal in your life, you're going to find that, listen, it just destroys. You're going to give place to the devil. You see, Bitterness is like drinking poison. But it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's not the way it happens. You drink the poison, it's going to affect you. It doesn't affect the other person at all. Bitterness is just a load way too heavy to bear. If you've got bitterness in your heart towards somebody, you can't afford to indulge it. Never. Not for a moment. You can't afford to indulge bitterness. You've got to let it go. You say, but I can't. Yes, you can. If you bring it to Jesus. You're the most abused, the most mistreated person that ever walked this planet. Bar none. Was Jesus Christ. Because nobody else ever deserved to be treated right like he did. He was God. But not only was he God, he was good. And he did nothing but good. And he was abused in the worst possible way. But you won't find any bitterness. You just won't find any bitterness there. You find them on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You're not going to find any bitterness. You're not going to find anything like that here. He's going to deal with the issue. He's going to give it into the Father's hands. He's going to trust it unto him that judgeth righteous judgment. And you know what? You can do the same. You can do the same. You can take and you can deal with stuff and you can, you can give it uh, to the Lord and you can leave it in his hands. You won't be able to deal with it. But he can. 
And if you will let him, he will take and deal with it in your life and he will show you his power. You know what's important in this whole thing of forgiveness? Paul's not writing to this church and saying, now, I want you to work on having feelings of forgiveness. I want you to light candles all around the room and get nice and soft and woozy, and I want you to feel feelings of forgiveness. He's not doing this in my life. He says, forgive them. Do it. And do you know if you will do it, you'll find God is able to help you. If you will just do it. I told you the story about <clears throat> Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom <clears throat> uh, had been so badly treated uh, in the concentration camps. God had given her a message. And her message was, there is no place so deep, no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And she was able to go around the world telling that story. And one day she faced the most awful moment. A man is walking up in the line as people are greeting her after the service. And a man is walking up in the line. He's the prison guard that was responsible for the death of her sister. And she looks at him and she, she knows what's coming. And he says, God has forgiven me, but it would really help me if you would forgive me too. He was a Christian now. And she said, I can't in her heart. But then she reached out her hand. And in the reaching out of her hand, God enabled her to actually do it. Do you know you can forgive? You can let go. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. You're choosing to do it. Will you do it this morning? Will you forgive that person that's hurt you? Even if they haven't repented of it, in your heart forgive them. doesn't mean you're going to put yourself in danger again. But will you let go? Just let go. They don't know you. Let God deal with them. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for this people. Now, blessed spirit of the living God, we're counting on you right now to do a work in hearts and lives. Lord, <clears throat> This is a world of hurts. And, oh, Lord, this people have been hurt. But, oh, we look to the example of the Lord Jesus and how he was hurt and he never got bitter. Lord, help us. Lord, where there's something that needs to be let go of, would you just stir your people to deal with it right now? Just to deal with it between you and them. Let me ask you just, just, just as a demonstration of the fact that you're dealing with something before God, not for me or for anybody else, between you and God. Just lift your hand and say, I'm dealing with it, I'm letting it go. Just lift your hand. Amen. 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 See those hands? I'm dealing with it, I'm letting it go. Amen. 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 See that hand too? You can put them down. Anybody else? Oh, don't miss the moment with God. God's very good to us. God touches our hearts. The Spirit of God woos us and draws us. You would say, listen, I'm dealing with it. I'm letting it go. I'm not able, but I'm dealing with it anyway. I'm trusting him. Would you lift your hand? Father, 
Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing you brought in our, in our lives. And Lord, thank you for the power to forgive that comes from you. Now, Lord, would you bless us. And Lord, if there be one in this room that is not forgiven of you, Lord, that doesn't know what it is to be forgiven their sins and to know they have a home in heaven, oh, blessed Spirit of the living God, may today be the day when they trust you. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Uh, bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name.